morning, Digital Cathedral family. Hope you've had a good week. Glad to have you with me this morning. Want to welcome all of you that are here for the very first time, whether you're seeing this on a Sunday morning or another time during the week, maybe later set Sunday afternoon if you've been in church this morning and you've come over to the Digital Cathedral to find out what we're doing over here. So glad that you're with me. Hope uh, that we can enrich you and help you on the journey as God makes uh, revelation to your life about good things that he has in store for all of us. If I were to put a title on the teaching this morning, I would call it Shift Happens. It's going to happen if you're a manifesting son and daughter. Shift will happen. So we're going to talk a little bit about shifting this morning in some areas that I think are extremely important. So I want you to follow closely. Make sure you go to the end of the teaching. Don't bail out on me quick this morning after 10 or 15 minutes. If you have to, if you have to go, come back. Make sure you complete it because I have some things to say as we progress through the teaching that I think will make this all kind of come together and be of benefit to you. I want to start this morning over in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. Shift happens, Matthew chapter 5. And let's look at one verse of scripture that Jesus said uh, in verse 20, chapter 5. He said, for I say to you, now this is really important. He said, I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying that your righteousness has got to exceed that of the most uh, self-righteous, law-keeping people that were on the planet at that time. And at first glance, that almost looks like it's mission impossible. Like who could, who could be more righteous than the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And, and just let me remind you about them. They prided themselves and considered themselves to be very righteous which means to be in right standing with God. That's all righteousness is. It means simply right standing. They thought that they were in right standing with God based on their obedience to keeping the 613 laws of Moses. And most of them were extremely diligent, at least outwardly, it appeared, to keeping the 613 laws. They worked extremely hard at it. They were, they were continuously uh, looking at their life and judging other people based on that standard of self-made righteousness. And I call it self-made because the 613 laws of Moses were not God's laws. We need to understand that. They were not God's laws. They were all developed to help and to legislate the Ten Commandments that Moses got on Mount Sinai. Remember, God wanted all the people to come up to fellowship and the people saw the smoke and the thunder and they said, no, we're afraid to go up there, Moses, you go up and find out what he wants and come back down and tell us. What God desired was fellowship, but they desired law. So God says, you want law, I'll give you ten. So he gives Moses ten laws on tablets of stone. Moses comes down and finds out these people are having a hard time with the 10. We still would, we can't, we still can't keep the 10. So what does Moses do? He doubles down on law and he starts to add additional laws to help the children of Israel. It, the motivation I think was to aid them in keeping the 10 commandments. And it grew and it grew and it grew until there were 613 laws. So the Pharisees and Sadducees were committed to keeping 613 laws. They, they felt that that's what would make them right with God. But I want you to understand, they were not God's laws. 
they were, it's called the Mosaic Law for a reason. It's because it, the law that Moses laid down. It's really not much different than what most of us faced in church today or in, in multitudes, millions of people still face the same thing today. We have pretty much laws that are made within a local church, within a denomination, that say things like don't drink, don't smoke, uh, don't go to movies, don't dance, uh, be to church whenever the doors are open. And those pretty much become church laws. And the, the motivation, I think, the first generation that laid those laws down, my background, my background was very legalistic. We had what we called in the Church of the Nazarene, I think it's still there today, it's called the Church Manual. And in that Church Manual, there were all kinds of things that were spelled out that you should not do. And the, the, the ones that made those laws, or those, they, I think they made them as, first of all, they made them as suggestions. These will help you to live a holy life. In the Church of the Nazarene, sanctification is a big doctrine. You're saved, and then you are another work of grace called sanctified. And in sanctification, supposedly, inward, uh, the inward desire to sin, the root of sin, that old nature is rooted out, and you are empowered for life and holiness. And so to aid you to live a holy life, the first generation came up with these suggestions. Don't smoke, don't dance, don't go to the public beach. The, the manual is full of those, and many churches have church laws that are similar to that. Now, the first, the first generation that makes those, uh, they're suggestions. Then when the second generation comes, they become principles to live by. But by the time the third generation comes, they are absolute laws that are set in stone. And those church laws, just like Mosaic law, they are used, first of all, to examine ourselves and judge ourselves. Second of all, and this is where it gets really dangerous, those church laws are used f for me to judge other people. I don't, they were not intended, I don't think, to do that. But when you see somebody smoking a cigarette and they go to your church, you just write, they, they're not even a Christian. They're not saved because you can't smoke, you can't drink and be a Christian. It becomes a etched in stone law. And they're all, they're all attempts originally to help us to live a godly life. But today is in the day of Jesus. These laws have become the accepted norm once again to determine the relationship that a person has with Christ. Um, and they become the means, as that was with the scribes and Pharisees, where we strap obligations on other people, where we strap obligations and duties and, and laws on others, and we enforce those and make them feel guilty and condemned if they break any of them. Now here's the problem with that. The problem is we can't keep all the laws. We can't keep all of the all of the things that have been instituted to try to make us, force us uh, to modify our behavior that we can live a holy life. The Pharisees did not keep 613 laws. There's no possible way they did it. And so Jesus understood that and he gave a little warning in Matthew chapter 23. And boy, I wish I could imprint this on every uh, church out there that's legalistic. Look what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 23, verse one. Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. So he's talking to regular folk. He's not talking to religious people here. And he says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, the seat of judgment. Therefore, whatever they, they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not according to their works 
Why? For they say and they do not do. Now that's what that's where religion really becomes strong. They tell you what to do, but they can't even do it themselves. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Verse 5. But all their works they do to be seen of men. Man, that is so... I mean, this could be written to the church today in so many religious circles. What they do, they do to be seen of men. They act one way, but they know they cannot keep it. They feel guilty. They feel condemned that they can't, but they can't let the outward show down. See, the pastor, he can't let it down. He can't let it be known that he's not perfect. You know, God bless those pastors that do, uh, that they're real with their, with their congregation. They're real with their church people. They're not perfect. They can't be perfect. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of the garments. Verse 6, they love the best places at feasts, the best seats at the synagogue, greeting in the, in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi, or apostle, apostle, prophet, prophet, pastor, pastor, teacher, teacher, love titles, love titles. And once you have the title, here's the thing. Once you have the title, then you have to live up to the title. How many, how many apostles and prophets have we seen flare and burn out in the last 10, 15, 20 years? M many major, major ministries have absolutely gone bonkers, have totally lost any street credibility they have because of their life. And some of the ones that have fouled up the worst have been the ones that have hammered other people on how they ought to be living. So I, that's all I want to say about that. The whole, the whole purpose of the law is to judge yourself, but we turn it and we judge other people. Judging yourself is not even a wise thing to do. Comparing ourselves among ourselves, Paul said, is not a wise thing. Now, here's the thing. Here's, all right, we're going to start talking now. The law is, I don't care what law it is, the 613 or the laws that you had in your local church. They are all based on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Every law is set up to say this is right, this is wrong. You can do this, you can't do that. This is good, this is evil. Do this, don't do that. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They have been set in place, those laws have been set in place by people who made a determination, whether it was a denomination, headquarters, or general assembly, whatever. They made a determination on what you should do, what you shouldn't do. What was right, what was wrong, what was good, what was evil. It all comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's always the law is always dualistic. There's two, right, wrong, good, evil, left, right, up, down. You, you get the gist? So that's the wrong tree. We're eating from the wrong tree. When you obey the Father, that's, that comes all out of the tree of life. And obeying the Father is, is simply a response to what he says to you. So I don't want you to ever confuse, I don't want you to ever confuse obedience to religious law and obedience to the Father. Don't confuse the two. They're entirely different. Religious law is based on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When we obey the voice of the Father, we don't make a determination of what's right or wrong. We don't make a determination which way to go. The only determination we make is I respond. I agree with it. I, I move forward with it. For, for example, well, let me, let me just say this before I give you an example. The, the, the Father's the one that directs all life. Out of Him can only flow life. So we eat at the tree of life, 
by simply responding to that inner voice that comes to us that prompts us on what to do. Now I'll give you an example. Jesus, Father directed Jesus to make a healing to heal someone on the Sabbath day. Now healing on the Sabbath day broke the law of Moses. It went against what was determined to be right and wrong, good and evil. He should not have done that according to the law. However, the father requested that he do that. So now he's eating from the tree of life. The tree of life is not determination of right and wrong. The tree of life is just a simple response to what the father says. This makes it so easy to live our life. The only thing we have to develop is a sensitivity to the voice of the father. And I'm going to unwind some of that. That's why I want you to stay with me till the very end today. I want to talk, talk to you about some of that sensitivity, that consciousness, that awareness of the father's presence that directs us, that helps us move from the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of established law, right, wrong, good, evil, do, don't do, to where we make it very, a very simplistic life. Of we, I, we're aware of what the father says and we simply do it. All right, let me give you a couple other real quick examples. The church law may be that you should be in church every Sunday. That's been determined that that's right. And if you're not in church, you're wrong. That if you're in church, you're, you've, you've done good. And if you're not in church, it's evil. All right? So there's the dualism. And what happens is when you don't keep that, if you miss a Sunday in church, I mean, back in the day, man, if I missed a Sunday at church, I felt really bad. In fact, as a pastor, I went years and years and years without ever missing a Sunday. If I took any time off, I went for years and never took a vacation. I mean, not, not any time. After about 20 years, 25 years in ministry, my wife says, look, we're going to start getting away a little bit. But I, what I did was I'd only be gone. I'd be, make sure I was back on the weekend. It was only the last 8, 10, 12 years that I was a pastor that I would ever miss a weekend. And you know what? I found out they got along just fine without me. They didn't need me as much as I thought they did or hoped they did. So we, we, if this becomes a law that you, a pastor makes you feel guilty if you're not on church on Sunday, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the father may tell you some Sunday morning when you get up, you need to go fishing with your buddy. Your buddy called you on Friday, said, let's go fishing Sunday morning. And immediately that thing comes to you. I can't miss church. But maybe the father, the tree of life, is prompting you to go fishing with your friend because he needs some encouragement. He needs a word from you. He needs, he needs you to be the, the bigger brother. He needs you to be one that represents the father to him. And so you obey that prompting from the father, which is eating from the tree of life. Now you've just blown it over here to tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're not doing what you should have done, what you thought you should have done. So when you, when you move from one tree to the other, it's a shift. You know, for example, the church law may be that you should tithe 10% of, first 10% of your income, of your gross income. And if you don't do that, then you've sinned. If you don't do that, you, you've committed evil. And if you do tithe, then you've done the right thing. You've done a righteous act. The Father may prompt you to take that 10% and buy groceries for a single mom that's supporting three kids. May, may say, take that money and give it to your friend over here that just had surgery and he's home recuperating from surgery. He needs the help. Now see, that's eating from the tree of life. That's, that's responding to what the Father has prompted you to do. It violates the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but we're shifting. 
Tremendous shift going on in the body of Christ right now. And the shift is this. We're moving from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where we're always weighing out right, wrong, good, evil, do, don't do. And we're sim making our life extremely simplistic to where all we do is obey the voice of the Father, which is the tree of life. Now, I want to take you back to the scripture that I read where Jesus said that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom. Now, Jesus was making it clear in Matthew chapter 5 that there is a righteousness, there is a degree of holiness that's greater than obeying the laws. Laws that men set up, laws that denominations set up. Laws that have been imposed on us. Jesus said they're like heavy weights that we put on men's shoulders and they are not able to keep it. I call it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they're setting up a standard whereby you judge what's right and what's wrong based on that law. So the, the righteousness, listen to me carefully, the righteousness, which is just simply right standing with God, the right standing with God that comes from simply responding to that still small voice, what the Father's prompting you to do. That's, that's, that's the affirmation of your right standing with God. Now stay with me because we're going to unwind some of this. Stay with me. Don't jump ahead of me or don't let your mind say, well, he's trying to make a works righteous. No, I'm, I'm trying to get you out of the opposite. I'm trying to move you out of trying to do something based on what you think is right, wrong, good, evil, to where now you're just simply responding to what the Father asked you to do exactly like Jesus did. And Jesus is saying, you know what? You eat from that tree, you're exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So there's a time in your spiritual life, and I think I'm bringing this to the, to the table this morning at the Digital Cathedral, because a lot of you are right at this place. You're right at this point in your spiritual journey where you're making a shift. See, shift happens to every son and daughter that is manifesting. And the shift is this, you're walking away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're putting that tree behind you. Because you, living by that tree is what messes you up because you make wrong choices, you make wrong decisions. You do what appears to be the right thing and you find two weeks or not was the wrong thing. But when you eat from the tree of life, which is the tree that now you're going to and you're nourishing yourself, you're finding that the voice of the Father, as you respond to it, and it's just simple response, simple response, you're finding that that's the thing that takes you in the right direction. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a tree of external choices and decisions. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil arises and we eat at it when we gather all, this, all the data from our senses, what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we feel, the way things appear, and all that data comes into our mind and then we make a decision that we think is right based on that. The tree of life is when we make decisions internally and then we manifest those in responding outwardly. The tree of life is based upon what the Spirit says to you. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is always two, always two. You have to make a choice, you have to make a decision. The tree of life is only one. Now, Paul said this, this is worth noting. He said, the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
The law of sin and death is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's based on personal effort, personal decisions, personal choices, determining what is wrong, what is right, and, and, then, and then depending on that to make me in right standing with God. The law of the Spirit is righteous-based, and, and it looks like doing what Jesus did. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. Jesus saying, I'm only eating that one tree. I'm not making a determination. Jesus made no determinations on his own, what he should do or what he shouldn't do. He was always perceptive, always aware of the Father's presence in his life and what the Father was saying to him. So we got this tree of knowledge over here, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not just knowledge of evil. It's the knowledge of what appears to be good, what appears to be right. So we got this tree of the knowledge of good and evil over here, and just like it did with Adam and Eve, it's always hissing to us. And it's telling us that we must do, honestly, to become who we already are. That, that, that tree was hissing at Adam and Eve and saying, here's what you, you must eat of this fruit. You must eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and when you do, you'll become like God. They, he got them to where they were depending on their choices and decisions. That, that tree is hissing at us. It's hissing at some of you this morning maybe, saying you, you better do. You've got to accomplish. You have to fulfill yourself. And it's telling you to do something to become who you already are or to give you something that you already have. So the, the, the law promotes doing to become righteous. Jesus came to impute righteous to us. Righteousness, he, 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 I, I love the term direct deposit. He direct deposited righteousness into us apart from the law. He made you righteous. You are righteous this morning. Let me, let me hit you about three or four scriptures just so you can know that I'm not, I'm not fooling you this morning. Your righteousness, your right standing with God is not based on what you do. It's based on what he has deposited into your life. All right, let, let me just read a few verses of scripture. I'm going to read four of them real quick. I'm going to try not to comment on these. And you can note them and you can come back and look at them and study them out yourself a little bit if you want to. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So he became sin with our sin. There's an exchange. <clears throat> he became sin with our sin so that we could become partakers of of his righteousness is our righteousness. So he now becomes my righteousness and he became my missing the mark. He took that upon himself. I, I could go on and on with that. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. Philippians chapter 3 verse 9. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9 says, And that we will be found in him, not having our own righteousness, which is from the law. Always, always from that tree of two but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. All right? Now, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's back up again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's look at verse 30. All right? I'm just trying to give you an overview here to let you know that your righteousness is not based upon the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, laws that have been instituted, behavior patterns that have been instigated by your church or your denomination or your bishop, whatever you're covering. Oh boy, help us, help us, dear Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, 
who was made for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So he was made those things for you. You could not become those things yourself. Righteousness, sanctification, redemption, um, wisdom from God. He has become those things for you. You have the mind of Christ, which is the wisdom of God manifesting. And one more scripture it says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 4 that Christ is the end of the law. The Ten Commandments, 613 laws of Moses. Every church law that your, your denomination or your pastor has tried to impose on you, Christ is the end of the law. Romans 10, 4 says, to everyone that believes, to everyone that responds to that revelation. That's what believing is. So it's important that you grasp this morning. Here's our foundation on this. All right, now we're going we're gonna to start rolling, so stay with me. It's important you grasp this morning that you are as righteous and walking in right standing with the Father as you will ever be in your entire life. You will never be, listen to me, Digital Cathedral, you will never be more righteous than you are this morning. We just read four scriptures that said he became our righteousness for us. He took our sin, gave us his righteousness. He's the end of, end of the law. He's the end of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's the end of you trying to, to act your way into right standing with God. Are you with me? Paul said that it's by the gift of righteousness that you'll be able to reign in life. Romans 5.17 says, for if, one man's, for if by one man's obedience we all became disobedient, so it is that by the gift of righteousness that comes from the one man, Jesus Christ, we will reign in life. Maybe I should just read that verse in Romans 5.17 because I want you to get the exact wording of this because it's powerful. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by the one, much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. It's not, righteousness is a gift. It's imputed. It's imparted. It's imputed righteousness. You don't earn it. You don't merit it. He said, if you'll recognize it, and I'm going to talk about how you recognize it, so stay with me this morning. He said, you're going to reign in life because of the one Christ Jesus. So righteousness, understanding that you are in right standing with God, not trying to be more righteous, not trying to uh, uh, elbow your way into a better standing with God than somebody else. What you're going to see is in this place of right standing, listen, you're going to see that God withholds nothing from you. Nothing. There's, 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 no, there's no striving to prove your worthiness for him to release anything to you. My goodness, how much time have we spent in prayer begging and pleading and asking God to give us? When you know that you're in right standing, you know, you know why we had to plead and beg? Because we weren't sure we were worthy enough to have it. So we would, we would argue our case like a lawyer in court before God as to why he should give us, why he should release, why he should come help us. Let, let me, this is why I say you've got to understand you will never be more righteous than you are this morning right? You rest in that righteousness. And as you rest in that righteousness, it be, that righteousness begins to produce the reigning in life that you desire. Now, let me, let me say this. Let me, let me just go a step further. Not only is he not withholding anything from you, he's not giving you anything. 
Just let that settle in for a minute. Not only is he not withholding, he's not giving you present tense anything. Do you know why? Because it says in Romans chapter 8, I, I love when we have something that just makes us understand. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. That's, I love the all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So when he gave his son, which was the very best possession that he had, and Paul is drawing, um, he's drawing a comparison. He's, he's saying if, he, if the father gave us Jesus, which was the most prized possession, if he freely gave Jesus to us, how could he then not freely give us everything else that was of lesser value to him than Jesus? So he's already released it. It's already there. It's, there's no sense asking him to give you. He's, what is he going to give you that he hasn't already given to you? What is it? Second Peter, first Peter chapter one, verse, verse three says that he has given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's already given it to us. He's already stacked it into your account. So the father is withholding nothing. Neither is the father giving anything. It's already been held. Does this seem logical to you? It does to me. That if God were able to give you something, then it would be obvious that he's withholding something. Because he could only give you what he's withholding. So if he's not withholding, then there's nothing left for him to give. How shall he not with Christ freely give us all things? He's put the oil in the ground. He's put the fish into the sea. He's put the birds in the air. He's, he's made the ground able to grow crops. He's put all of those things in motion for us. We, we lack nothing. It's, it's true. I'll admit it's true. God doesn't take a truck and back up to the back door of your house and unload the truck for you. That's our responsibility. This is where, this is where we begin to come in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start getting down there in just a minute, so stay with me. It's the responsibility of man. The Father has set everything in the universe in motion. He has filled everything that needs to be filled in the entire universe. All that man will ever need for the entire future of humankind. Everything. The problem of enough is on our end. He has supplied more than enough. See, we are determined to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're, we are determined to, to do it ourselves. We are determined to draw our own conclusions. And as we draw those conclusions, as we, as we get in there and try to make it happen ourselves, you, know you know what that results in? It results in things that God never intended when he gave mankind everything. It results in greed. It results in competition. See, we don't think there's enough for everybody. God has, has designed the entire cosmos to be more than enough for everybody. No matter how many millions and billions of people that live on this planet, there will never be shortage from God's perspective. The shortage comes because of greed. It comes because of competition. Even in poor nations, the, the rich class have more than enough. But because we're greedy, we don't, we're not about to, to share that. We're not about to let anybody else in on it. That entire attitude is contrary to the kingdom. Absolutely contrary to the kingdom. Right next to us, right next to every person that's listening to me on the digital cathedral this morning, 
There's more than we can use if only we would open our eyes to it. You know how we open our eyes to it? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seeking first the kingdom, listen to me very carefully. Seeking first the kingdom is the tree of life. It's being responsive to the voice of the Father that is within us, and then we simply act on what he says. He's shifting you, body of Christ. He's shifting you from what you have determined is right, wrong, good, evil, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, and he's shifting you over to the tree of life, which is simply hear him and do it. He's delivered you from the power of darkness, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he has translated you into the kingdom, the tree of life, of his dear son. So you can see this, this, this tsunami that's going across the nation, world right now, just not the nation, but around the world, of grace and love and inclusion and mercy that endures forever. There, there is a spirit sensitivity that is arising across the board. You're not going to find it in most churches. You're finding it in places like the Digital Cathedral. You're finding it in places like Francois de Toy's Mere Bible. There, and there are other teachers out that are teaching what I'm teaching, some on a, a deeper level, some on not as deep a level. I'm trying to take you in the Digital Cathedral a step at a time as we make this journey together. And we're going to arrive at a point where we are, uh, where we come to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. That's the end goal. That's the end target. And when we're when we're functioning, as in in the measure, of the stature, the fullness of Christ, when we're fully functioning in the kingdom of God, we'll totally be eating from the tree of life, and we will be producing out of that kingdom, even as Adam and Eve produced out of the Garden of Eden. So as our eyes open, as our eyes open, the shift is going on from all of the old ways of doing things, never worked. Never, it was so frustrating. The prayer life that we had, it did not work. Come on, let's be honest. Hammering it in a prayer room or in a prayer closet or whatever, getting a hundred people together to bombard the gates of heaven produced just a trickle. All that stuff's going by the wayside. Shift happens. And there's a shift that's going on right now. It's part of the restoration of all things. The restoration of all things is going to take us back to the tree of life. It's taking us back to the point of origination, back to the Father's original intention. And that is that we eat from the tree of life in the garden, which is our kingdom. The kingdom is our garden. And understand that that's the way the Father set it in place from the beginning. All right, now, let's get practical for a minute. What is the catalyst? What that causes this shift from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to the tree of life. What I'm talking about this morning, how do we how do we get there? How do we make it happen? Let's get very practical. I believe that God consciousness is the key, it's, it's the secret to life, it's the secret to kingdom life. And all the revelation that has come, the word to me that opens it all up is God consciousness, God awareness. The, the, the consciousness of God's presence is what makes us aware of Him. And when we are aware of Him, our perception changes. The way we see things changed. It, 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 and it comes, that consciousness comes by not being distracted. 
Man, there are so many distractions today. Conscious, a God consciousness, a God perception, a God awareness comes when you still yourself, when you get quiet. So many distractions. I, I can get so distracted so easily. I can pick up a book and start reading it and get so absorbed in it that I'm not aware of anything else going on around me. Now, is that good? That, that's not an evil thing. There's a, there's a little book out called Practicing His Presence by a man named Brother Lawrence. I think it's still available on Amazon. That will, that will talk to you about becoming aware and becoming conscious of the Father's presence with you at all times. If we're going to eat from the tree of the knowledge, if we're going to eat from the tree of life, forsake the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, eat from the tree of life, then we are going to have to, listen to me, body of Christ, listen to me, digital cathedral, we're going to have to learn to eat from the tree of life by being aware of the Father's presence with us at all times. And that takes some practice because of distractions. You can watch television, you can watch the news and how distracting that becomes. Consciousness comes through the eyes of our spirit as they open. The wider your eyes open, the easier it is to be continually aware of his presence. And the more that you are able to be aware of his presence and that becomes a firm fixture in your life, then I think you can engage in other things more easily and not lose that consciousness. At first, you have to really concentrate on it. But as time goes along, you're able to, to, you know, kind of like juggle several things at once and not lose the consciousness. Look what Paul said, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. This is good stuff this morning. We're moving, we're shifting. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. Paul said this. He said that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. He's not talking about natural understanding here. He's talking about spiritual understanding, that the, that the eyes of your spiritual understanding would open up. They'd be enlightened. Here's why. Because it's going to make you sensitive, going to make you perceptive. It's going to make you consciously aware. And here's what you're going to be aware of, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, number one. Number two, what are the riches of his glory, number two. And what inheritance he has for the saints, number three. So here's what, as we, as we become perceptive, as we become aware, as we live in that consciousness of God's presence, the eyes of our understanding open up. We, we start eating at a different tree. We live at the tree of responding like Jesus responded to the voice of the Father. Only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. I only enact what I see the Father enacting. That's what opening the eyes of your understanding will do for you. And it will produce hope of his calling, what it is he has, riches of his glory, his presence, and his inheritance that he has in the saints. Oh my goodness, that we would grab onto the inheritance that's already been paid for and delivered and set into our account. That's why I say God, God cannot withhold, nor can he release anything more into your life than he already has through an inheritance. The inheritance has been released. So the understanding is in the heart and the heart becomes conscious. And I contend this morning that the real knowing that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know until it's fixed within you comes through that awareness and that perception. It's a heart awareness. It is a spirit perception. And as that becomes does that become second nature to us? Actually, first nature to us. Let's, let's say first nature. Then that inheritance crystallizes. You can see it. You're able to perceive it. 
The eyes of your inner man are open now to what the Spirit is saying, and the Spirit will lead you to everything that the Father has for you. Are, are you tracking with me this morning? You'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. How do you know truth? Not by intellectual understanding. It's by an opening up of your spirit, man. Knowing comes through awareness. Knowing comes through perception. It comes through consciousness. It's not a work that you can gin up. It's not something you can try to strive to get. It's a work of the spirit within. And listen to me. Let me say it again. It comes when you shut down. It comes by, by being no longer distracted. It comes when you quiet yourself. It's so hard for us to quiet ourselves. We, if we quiet ourselves for five minutes, we think it's an eternity. I, I, I find, I'm finding that life of quiet. I'm finding that life of, of not being distracted by things around me, by Fox News, by all that's going on in Washington. There's so much to distract you that's going on around the world in Ukraine and Russian invasion, all that stuff. And what that does, it puts stuff within us and we start making choices and decisions based on right, wrong, good, evil. We start judging people on right, wrong, good, evil, our perception. We don't know what's going on. Listen, we need to listen from within. He will tell you what to do. That's the tree of life, y'all. That's where the kingdom resides. His consciousness permeates everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. It's us just learning how to tune into that, into that awareness. Quantum physics may call it frequency or vibration. I don't care what you call it, but I, I have learned. I've learned now for several years that the more I still myself, the more I quiet myself, the easier it is to start eating from the right tree. Here's, here's how it kind of works. His spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are the son of God or a daughter of God. Isn't that amazing? That is an inward work. That, that's, that's shutting down and, and he begins to reveal himself. Right? So as he opens himself up to us in that still time, we open ourselves up to him. And as we open ourselves up to him, he pours into us. Right? For example, we love him because he first loved us. We open ourselves up to his love. Then he pours that love into us. And when he pours that love into us, then we can pour it out into the world in which we live. But until we're aware of his love, until we understand his presence is with us at all times, it's almost impossible to tag on to what he's trying to show us. I'm trying to say that he initiates and we respond. That's how the kingdom operates. We don't initiate, we respond. He tells us and then we respond. He shows us we move. When he doesn't say, when he's quiet, we're quiet. When he's still, we're still. His presence, let me say it again, permeates the universe. It's always around you. It's just how aware of it are you. That's, that's the key. A a everything and everyone, as they become aware of his presence, takes us a step closer to the subjective restoration of all things. If I'm aware of it, if you become aware of his presence, your family becomes aware of its presence. Your town becomes, listen, that's what moves us toward the restoration of all things. The restoration of all things is not going to come through the government. It's not going to come through legislation. The restoration of all things is going to come as we learn to respond to the tree of life that's planted in this garden right here. And it will produce. And the tree of life that's in this garden is saying, you've got to get away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
and you just have to start responding to what I'm saying to you. This is the age we raise our consciousness. This is a season we need to just raise vibration frequency. I don't care what you want to call it. We need to raise our consciousness until we are, until we're touching him, until there's just, until there's a oneness there. Jesus, Jesus was fully aware of his oneness. That's what enabled him to hear. That's what enabled him to react to only what the father said. So we, we become very conscious that the life Jesus lived becomes the life that we live. He was fully aware of the father. That, that is the secret of the life of Jesus. He was never outside that awareness. The presence of the Father, he fully realized, guided him every step from, from being born to the cross, to the resurrection. It was all the Father's presence. Same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That's the spirit we want to tap. Here's Jesus' testimony about this. Romans chapter 8, verse 20, or John chapter 8, verse 29. Here's what Jesus said about it. And this needs to become what we say about us. John chapter 8. I hope you don't mind me using so much scripture all the time. It's just, it's just me. I, st I still love my Bible. I don't believe it's in Aaron. I don't believe it's fault free. I believe that men spoke as God spoke to them. And sometimes when God speaks to us, we don't always get it right. It's a, it's a journey. Here's what Jesus said about himself. He who sent me is with me. He was always aware of the Father's presence. He who sent me is with me. He didn't just send Jesus and say, Jesus, I'll see you in 33 and a half years. Uh, when you're on the cross, I'll come and, and uh, minister to you. No, he's with him. The one that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. This is how it builds. An awareness that he's always with us. An awareness that he has not left us. And Doing the things that please him is just simply responding to what he says. You say, well, I'm not sure what he says. It takes some practice. You say, well, what if I do something and it turns out that's not what he said? The spirit of truth is like a GPS. He will guide you, bring you right back around, put you right back on the path. Don't be afraid of that. It does take a little bit of practice. It takes learning how to shut down. In the life of God consciousness... This is what's beautiful about it. There is no fear. When love becomes your awareness, it will cast out fear. There is no unforgiveness. People cannot offend you. Your day of offense is over when you eat the tree of life. Jesus looked at everyone and said, Father, forgive them. They don't have any idea what they're doing. Jesus was not offended. The life of offense comes from that dualistic life of determining what's right and wrong. I've been wrong, brother. They can't treat me that way. I'll tell you what, they're going to hear about it from me. That's wrong tree. Wrong tree keeps no account of wrongs. Right tree keeps no account of evil. You cannot offend it. You cannot injure it. You cannot harm it. You cannot walk over it. See, the opening of our consciousness to his or living out of the mind of Christ is what brings us into the kingdom and that abundant life that Jesus promised we could have. Very few people are living the abundant life because they're not. I, I've laid it out for you this morning, man. I have, I have unpacked a ton of revelation. If you, if, you, if you can integrate all of this into your life, your life's going to be different. Absolutely different. Jesus stands at the door of our awareness, of our spirit sensitivity, 
of, of being conscious of his presence and he's knocking. He's saying, hey, I'm right here. I've always been here. I've never left you. I'm forsaken. I am going off. I'm right here. And he says, I will reveal the abundant life to you if you'll just open the door of your perception. If you'll open the door of your awareness, if you'll become aware that I'm with you, that I'm there. That's, that's the whole key. It's the consciousness. This is what unfolds the life. His life expressing itself to us never judges us, never condemns us. If you're feeling judged this morning, it's because you've been eating at the wrong tree. He's never going to judge you. He said, I judge no man. He said, the Father judges no man. In fact, he, the, the scripture says, the Father turned all judgment over to the Son. Then the Son turns around and says, I don't judge anybody. If you're feeling judged and condemned, if you're feeling guilty this morning, that is not coming from the tree of life. Tree of life will say, oh, pick yourself back up, brush yourself off, listen to what I'm telling you. I will get you out of that mess. I'll get you out of that hole. Tree of life stops digging. <laughs> That's the best way to get out of a hole. One of my elders told me one time, he said, the best way to get out of a hole is stop digging. And some of us just keep digging from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's time to switch trees. He doesn't judge us. He doesn't condemn us. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. The spirit of, of life that is in Christ Jesus has freed us up from the law of sin and death. So shift happens. You're shifting this morning. It happens as revelation from the spirit of truth to our spirit shifts our awareness from circumstances, from what people say, from what people tell us, and it shifts our consciousness to be fully in tune with the voice of the Father. All right? So this morning, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil has been rooted up. It's been cast on the fire. We're burning it up. We have nothing more to do with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're moved away from that tree, and we've come to the tree of life, and that's where the feeding comes from, that is the voice of the Father that leads us into the kingdom and gives us the abundant life that Jesus promised. All right, I think I've gone far enough this morning. I've done my 50 minutes. Thank you for being with me this morning. We'll pick this up. We're going to keep going into deeper, deeper, deeper as this year unwinds. I know I, I, I said too much this morning. You need to go back and listen to this a couple times and just put what you can into practice, okay? Don't say, man, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. Just put what you can, what you understand. Just go a step, a little bit, put it into practice. And I'm telling you something, at the end of the day, we're going to end up at the same place. And that is fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. I promise you. God bless you. We'll see you next time at the Digital Cathedral. Don't forget to subscribe, hit the like button, and leave a comment. See you next time.